Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zaffert. The relationship between Jews and Muslims goes back to the very founding of the Islamic faith in the early 7th century. As one would expect, the nature of the relationship has fluctuated over time according to historical circumstances. Stephen Grused, the original host of the show, is my guest now to talk on that relationship. This formed the subject of a course that he recently gave at the Melton School of Adult Jewish Learning entitled The Star and the Crescent, The Long Relationship of Judaism and Islam. Stephen is the Head of Governance and APRM Program at the South African Institute for International Affairs. Stephen, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Sheree. So nice to be here in your new studio. And what do you think, Stephen? Very smart. It's being painted uh, as we speak, <laughs> but it uh, looks very nice. Stephen, um, so the relationship between Jews and Muslims goes back right to the beginning of time. And as, what, has that, what, what, what would you say has characterized that relationship? So, as you said in your intro, it's had ups and downs. It's fluctuated from times of great mutual learning, social interaction, living side by side in peace to times of great terror, angst and difficulties, uh, killings and co- forced conversions. Uh, generally, though, life for Jews living under Muslim rule in the south of Spain, where the Muslims con- uh, conquered in the early 700s, most of North Africa and uh, the Middle East was actually, if they had a choice at the time, they would probably have chosen to live under Muslim rule rather than under Roman or Christian rule at the time. There was a lot of uh, anti-Semitism found its way into the world in Europe much earlier than it did in the Arab world uh, and in the Muslim world, and life was generally better if your ruler was a Muslim. There was a tolerance for, for the, your religion. There was, uh, they had to pay a tax, uh, an annual tax, which was called the jizya, uh, which could be quite exacting and it was quite humiliating when it had to be paid to the ruler. You couldn't send somebody in your stead. You couldn't send your servant. You had to go. Sometimes they slapped your face or pulled your beard in public. Um, uh, and, and you were always a second class subject because you weren't a citizen in those days. You were a subject and it was called dimmi status, D-H-I-M-M-I, which is, uh, actually means protected. And so Jewish and Christian minorities in Muslim lands were protected uh, in, in a much greater way than other poly, uh, polytheists, for example, or pagans so who, were, who were persecuted and converted. Jews were allowed to get on with their lives as long as they followed the rules. So, um, generally. So that was in southern Spain. But of course, Jews and Muslims have co. co- uh, so it all started uh, in, in the Arabian Peninsula. Okay. Uh, so Muhammad was born in 632. Uh, he was seen as the, um, uh, by Islam as, uh, the prophet, uh, with uh, the archangel who we call Gabriel and Muslims call Jibril revealed God's, uh, prophecy to him. Uh, and he, uh, was, a, was a human being, uh, lived his life and attracted a following and this new religion started. But what was fascinating for me was to find out that when Muhammad was born in the Arabian Peninsula, what is called the Hejaz, uh, there were thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Jews in the 600s living in that area. He had uh, interaction with them in his life, sometimes good, sometimes not so good. Uh, some became his followers, some uh, became his victims. Uh, and and uh, so it does go way, way, way back, even further back, in fact, because Muslims believe that the final revelation was given to Muhammad, but the, they believe in 24 prophets, many of which they share with us. So Ibrahim 
we call Abraham, was the first Muslim in their eyes. And the course, uh, the Melton course that I did was fascinating because it's text-based. And so we went back to the Tanakh. We went back to the Quran, which is the holy book of, of, of Islam. We went to the Hadith, which is similar to our Talmud, uh, which are interpretations of the Tanakh, and many, many other sources. I think in the 10 weeks of the course, we covered over a 100 sources mm. that uh, really went back in time and, and on, on the different themes of what the lessons were. But there are a lot of commonalities between the two between the two religions, and there are a lot of differences. Uh, the, the philosophy of this Melton course was to try and say, let's go beyond the headlines, beyond the terrible uh, atrocities that we see that ISIS commits, that Al Qaeda commits, that the Islamophobia and the anti-Semitism that is so prominent, and the lack of trust between these communities. And let's look at this historical relationship that has lasted almost 1,400 years with its ups and downs. But there have been certainly ages, uh, you know, at least three or four periods where Jewish life flourished under Muslim rule. Uh, I could ask the same whether Muslim life flourishes under Jewish rule. And um, the Middle East is one of those areas that obviously kind of creates a lot of tension. So, yeah, for, for the first time uh, with the establishment of the State of Israel in 1948, and of course the Jewish settlement uh, in that area from, well, from time immemorial, but uh, as Zionism got going in the 1800s, uh, this was the first time when the state was declared that a Muslim minority was l- living under Jewish rule. And we know today that there are 20, 22% of Israel's population is non-Jewish, uh, what we call Israeli Arabs, uh, what some people would call uh, Palestinians in the in the in the mm-hmm. state of Israel, um, and the, so the tables are turned. And unfortunately, I wrote a I wrote a piece in the Jewish Report a couple of weeks ago that was called "Don't Mention the War," and that's almost the golden rule in Muslim Jewish uh, interfaith work because it is such a polarizing subject. Uh, that is, that is, uh, makes it actually difficult if, if that's all you're going to focus on to find those other areas of commonality. And that's one of the things that, that the course, uh, looked at. We had a whole lesson on, on Zionism and competing Arab nationalism. And it makes, it very, it's very difficult for Jews not to mention the war, for Jews not to mention Israel, and for Muslims likewise. Uh, however, I think if bridges are going to be built, that's where you have to start, and there's some examples in South Africa of that. So let's take a break now, and after the break, we can look at the ways that um, Jews and Muslims in different communities, including South Africa, can and have cooperated in the past. Um, so we'll take a short break there, but just before then, Hirsch Lion School is promoting an Explore to Win More competition that started Monday the 6th of August and runs until the 27th of September. This will be a hunt for clues, pictures, and riddles over a seven-week period in different Jewish sponsors' stores. For more info, go to the Hirsch Lions Facebook page, www.facebook.com backslash Hirsch Lions School. There are many prizes up for grabs. The Hirsch Lions Explore to Win More competition, third week, 20th to the 24th of August. Your clue, picture, riddle will be at Sponsor Store which is Corner Cafe, Shop 7, Queen's Place, Northfield Avenue, as well as separate in-store competition for Corner Cafe. See in-store for more details. Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zaffert. And I'm talking to Stephen Groost, who was my former colleague, but is now the head of governance at, and uh, APRM program at the South African Institute for International Affairs. Stephen, um, we are talking about Jewish-Muslim relations. And of course, it's over, 
1,200 years. It's quite complicated. But let's bring it back here to South Africa today. And um, your research, what has it shown? So, as you say, I worked at the Jewish Board of Deputies for a couple of years, uh, and I can't remember very much interaction with Muslim communities in Johannesburg between the Jewish community and the Muslim community. I think it's very difficult. I think if you look over the last uh, 10 or 15 years, the temperature in the Middle East has increased. We've had the various uh, the Lebanon war in 2006. We've had the various Gaza incursions and wars, uh, the rockets, etc., uh, etc. Et and we, we, there's no end in sight really for the Arab-Israeli conflict, which has made that very difficult. Um, but some interesting things are happening in other parts of the country. And, and the best example I can point to is Cape Town, which I think has generally been more liberal uh, on both, uh, certainly in the, on the Jewish community side. But there are some f- kind of admittedly fringe groups uh, uh, in the Muslim community. So, for example, there's Dr. Taj Hargay, who has opened something called the Open Mosque. And it, it allows for egalitarian prayer. And that is like... Uh, for hardcore Muslims, the absolutely uh, abrogating the religion. And he's faced death threats. He's faced uh, assassination attempts. He's had fires at his, at his mosque. And Rabbi Greg Alexander from the progressive community in Cape Town wrote to him in 2014 and said, you know, we're fighting similar struggles within the, in the Jewish community. Would you like to meet? And they did. And one thing led to another. And eventually... Uh, Greg Shul, Rabbi Greg Shul, uh, hosted the Muslim community for an iftar meal after Ramadan. And a couple of years later, the Jewish community went to the mosque, to the open mosque, for one of the nights of Hanukkah, and they shared communal meal, meals. That's one thing. Secondly, on uh, uh, Heritage Day, which is the 24th of uh, September, uh, uh, Gwyn Robbins in the Cape Jewish Board uh, has been running for many, many years a a heritage tour that takes in every year a mosque, a shul, and a church and a temple. Um, there are communal meals and so forth that are that are happening in Cape Town. It's slowly, slowly, and there is a really a don't mention the war rule, uh, which I think uh, is probably sensible in the beginning. And as I as I said in my piece uh, that I wrote for the paper, you have to start somewhere. And in many many difficult negotiations, you have to have confidence building measures. And I hope that at one point we can get to. Being able to discuss the war in a in a mature, constructive way, but it gets very heated very quickly. Well, maybe we don't even need to discuss the war because often you find when people are just being people, there is that connection. And mm. I know historically here in Johannesburg there was good relations between Jews and Muslims, and possibly there still is the potential for more. I think I think on a person to person level, it's there. Many Jews and Muslims are in business together; uh, they get on very well. But they are kind of no-go areas that they just don't talk about. Yes. Uh, We were going to look maybe a little bit abroad because, um, you know, after I think 9-11 was like a defining moment in certainly American history, and there is Islamophobia in America today. Very much so, and I think uh, 9-11 was a huge turning point. Um, and really soured the relations not only between Jews and Muslims, but between Muslims and the rest of the American community, which is largely Christian or atheist. Uh, and it's taken time to try and rebuild those bridges. Uh, I think Mr. Trump's policies on immigration have not helped that. Uh, but there is good work that's being done slowly, slowly in the interfaith space. 
Um, somewhere like France is also interesting, when, and the course of the Melton course went into it historically. So you look at something like the Dreyfus Affair uh, in the 1890s where a Jewish um, uh, soldier was accused of spying for the Germans by the French and public humiliated, sent to Devil's Island uh, prison uh, in, uh, off the coast of South America, totally humiliated and read, led to waves of anti-Semitism, which among other things spurred Theodor Herzl to uh, become a Zionist. Um, and and uh, so France has had this long history, and in fact, one of the things that the course does is is it notes how the Jewish experience in a diaspora community has often pre- preceded the Muslim experience by a couple of generations. So, you know, Jews were allowed to, were uh, emancipated in a way by Napoleon's uh, laws and were able to integrate into that society at a price, and mm-hmm. that price was. Uh, become French citizens and become French subjects and leave your religion for the, for the synagogue. And so they wanted, there was a pressure to assimilate. And Muslims who are much later arrivals to, to Paris, to France have had the same thing. But you've got, you know, disaffected youth who are easily recruited by, by extremists. You've got economic disparities, uh, in France. And, and we've seen a, a lot of terrible anti-Semitic and terrorist attacks in, in France over the last five years. France, um, is, I think, one of the, still the biggest uh, Western supplier of people making Aliyah uh, and South Africa is uh, not far behind but that's another discussion <laughs> for another day um, the course yeah uh, you've just completed the yes. course and it was run through the the Milton School yes. of um, Adult Jewish Learning can I talk maybe a bit a little yes. bit about that so the course is actually developed at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem and is rolled out to Melton schools all around the world so there's a Melton school in Cape Town there's one in Joburg and they give a whole uh, a number of uh, different courses we're hoping to run this one again next year did you enjoy it? I loved it it, it was a challenge for me to, to learn so that I could teach. I loved interacting with the texts. I had a fantastic group of very diverse students from uh, people with yarmulkes to people without yarmulkes, uh, men, women, young, old. I had a grade 10 in my class and probably some people in there. I'll be uh, in their latter years. Uh, but the whole philosophy is that it's non-denominational, that it's text-based, and that it uh, promotes adult learning and interaction. So uh, it was very, very interesting. Um, the students were stimulating and the texts were, the texts were wonderful. Um, so if people are interested, can I give out a? Yes. So they can contact Ariella Milner. Uh, the best place is probably an email to Melton, J-H-B, M-E-L-T-O-N, J-H-B at gmail.com. Uh, she also has a, she's there on Facebook and you can Google Melton and, and find, uh, how to, how to get hold of the Johannesburg or Cape Town. Um, uh, coordinators. Uh, the course is being run in Cape Town at the moment. They've got a few weeks to go. Wow. Well, Stephen, we have to leave it there. But thank you very much for coming in. Um, I know that you travel Africa now, so to get you into the studio is a real treat. We're going to do it again with your when we, your next Scrabble competition comes up. Okay. And certainly, you know, hopefully only good things will happen between South Africa and the Middle East now. But um, if things kind of grow pear-shaped, I'm hoping you'll be able to give us some inside information. I'm always happy to chat to you, Sherith.